right, good evening. Uh, we are continuing our study of the Baptist Catechism. Uh, specifically, we are using the edition found in the White Catechism booklets that we give away here at the church. If you don't have one, please take one. Uh, and this evening, we come to question 12 and 13. Yes, we are doing two questions this evening. This is a first for us. It probably won't be the last time. Um, but the first question is, is something of a springboard question that leads us into a discussion about creation. Um, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time on question 13. And that question is this. What is the work of creation? Now, as with much of the catechism, our, our questions and answers this evening are very simple. Uh, the catechism is a great summary of Christian truth. And one of the most basic facts of the Bible and human history is that God created all things. But while this is a basic truth, please hear me, it's a truth that is repeated over and over again in the scriptures. That, that's, that's why it's so basic. It's stated all the time. God's creating the world is mentioned in prayers and in psalms of praise it's, it's mentioned with regard to human astonishment at who God is and what he's done. It's mentioned as one of the reasons why men ought to know their place and submit to God's will for them. It's mentioned as a, a foundational reason for why man is obligated to love and serve God. The, the fact that God created all things is not only a primary basic doctrine of the faith, but it's also something that we are called to reflect on time and time again, because it has practical application to our lives and worship of God. So this evening, we will review this basic truth. God created all things. And by his grace, we will be led to reflect on God's majesty, our indebtedness to him, and our dependence upon him. And from there, may we be led to worship him as our great and wonderful creator. So with that said, first I'll pray, then we will briefly consider question 12, and then we're going to land on question 13, and I'm going to walk through the answer phrase by phrase, and then we'll consider some application that can be made to our hearts in light of the reality that God is indeed the creator of all things. So with that said, let's begin with prayer and seek God's help as we consider the truth of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day where we could devote ourselves to worshiping you. And now as the day comes to a close, we have gathered once again to hear from you and your word. Please bless us. Please teach us. Help us to receive old truths with fresh ears and warm hearts. Grant us minds to understand, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive your word. As always, we ask that you would change us by your word and spirit and help us to honor you. Glorify yourself in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So we now come to our first question for the evening. And as always, I ask that you would read the answer with me. Question 12. How does God execute his decrees? Answer. God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. All right, let's do it again. Question 12. How does God execute his decrees? Answer. God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. All right, question 12 is kind of a stepping stone question. Right, what I mean by that is it, it's designed just to get us to question 13. 
uh, and beyond. Catechisms are written in such a way that they build from one question to another, and so from time to time, like question 12, from time to time they have these kind of stepping stone questions that set you up. They set you up for more questions. Our confession actually works the same way. I was talking uh, with some people today about this. Um, One chapter builds upon another, and subsequent chapters build upon knowledge gained from what went before. That's how our catechisms work as well. It's actually interesting uh, to note that if you look at the hard copy of our catechism at question 12, there are no scripture proofs for the answer to question 12. There are no scripture proofs at all. Why is that? It's because the answer is self-evident. It's reasonable. The answer is self-evident. The question is asking this. Okay, since God has a decree that he works out, right? we saw that last month in question 11, since God foreordains all things, how does he get it done? How does he get it done? How does God execute his decrees? And the answer is obvious. God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. That is, he accomplishes his decree by creating and then governing the world according to his decree. You see, God's decree, think about this for a moment. Let's do some theology, right? For Christians. God's decree is an act within God. It's not external. It's a decree within himself where he ordains all that will come to pass. Decreeing, again, is not an external act of God. It's an internal act of God. But the execution of that decree is what? God acting outside of himself. He's acting outside of himself in his infinite power and wisdom and goodness to bring that decree to pass. And in order to bring the decree to pass, what must he do? He must create. Why? Because there was nothing in existence except for him when, to speak humanly, he decreed. Right? But his decree includes all things that now exist. So then he must create all things. And then having created, he effortlessly governs his creation to bring to pass all his holy will. Right? So the works of creation and providence both necessarily follow from the reality that God has decreed all things. Again, he infallibly decreed all that comes to pass. So then he must create and then govern his creation to bring the decree to pass. It's self-evident. So there's question 12. And we now come to our second question for the evening. And once again, I ask that you would read the answer with me. Question 13. What is the work of creation? Answer. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Let's do that again. Question 13. What is the work of creation? Answer. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Amen. Genesis 1.1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The chapter then goes on, as you know from this morning, as I read it to you, the chapter then goes on to record how God created the world and all things in the span of six days. And then the beginning of chapter two tells us he rested on the seventh. And that is the beginning of everything. There was nothing. And then God spoke all things into existence. There was nothing. 
But then there was a beginning to all things. And the beginning point was what? God's action. God's action. God's work of creation. I remember seeing a bumper sticker one time that made me giggle. It's, it's corny, right? but it was a Christian bumper sticker, and it said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke, and bang, it happened. And that, that still makes me giggle a little bit. It's corny, but I, I like it. Right? We reject the idea of an eternal universe. Why? The word, because the Word of God declares that there was indeed a beginning to the universe. We reject the idea of evolution. Why? Because the Word of God declares that God created all things, not some impersonal force and process. We confess an eternal God who made all things. Why? Because the Word of God declares plainly, in the beginning, God. That means he was there before the beginning. An eternal God. We start, please hear me, with all questions of human origin and the origin of the world. In all things, we start first with the scriptures. And then we move and reason from the infallible revelation of God. And in the opening chapter of the Bible, we receive the divinely inspired, God-given account of the beginning of the world and human history. And the word of God declares that God created all things. Our catechism says the same. It echoes the truth of scripture here. So let's now consider the answer to question 13, phrase by phrase. Our catechism declares that the work of creation is God's making all things. That's simple enough. God made everything. My daughter knows that. It's a children's catechism. Teach your kids, by the way. As Jonathan Edwards would say, tis reasonable. Tis biblical. I really like that phrase. Tis reasonable, tis biblical. That God created all things is incredibly reasonable. Follow me on this. This is very important, and this is street-level stuff that you will use talking with unbelievers. Basic logic and reason leads us to conclude that since the world exists, there must be a creator. Why do we know that? Well, because there must be a first cause for anything to exist. And we know that and we know that because nothing in the world just spontaneously comes into being, does it? Does spontaneous generation happen? No, that's nonsense. It's been disproven. When you look at a house, what do you know? There's a builder. When you look at a shoe, what do you know? There is a shoemaker. As R.C. Sproul once famously said at the beginning of a lecture, he picked his shoe up and said, I'm going to prove to you that God exists because a shoe exists. You know, if a shoe exists, there is a shoemaker. When you look at a book, what do you know? There's an author and there's a printer. You get the idea. If anything exists, we know that there is something or someone behind that thing. So in order for anything to exist at all, there must be a first cause. In order for the first thing to exist, there has to be a first cause. And hear me, that cause that first cause must be uncaused. It must simply be, or there could be nothing. Now, this sounds trippy. Follow me. The first cause must be uncaused. It must simply be, or there can be nothing. But since there is something rather than nothing, we can reason that there must be an uncaused cause. Since things exist, there must be an uncreated creator. There must be an unmoved mover. 
there must be an eternal being that gives being to all things. Again, if there is not, then nothing can exist. But things do exist. Amen? (laughs) Therefore, there is a creator. And that creator is God. The light of nature and human reason can come to see this. I want you to know atheism is learned. The belief in a creator is natural to man. It is reasonable. Again, Jonathan Edwards, tis reasonable. It's reasonable. And until recent times, basically everyone in the world understood and recognized this truth. They may have believed in multiple gods or whatever, but everyone believed that there was something behind the creation of the world because you don't get something from nothing. Something must exist prior to the world. But not only is this reasonable, it's biblical. As we read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is. There's your first cause. God. There is the eternal being. There is the one who exists in and of himself, who gives being to everything else. And I like to make this point. Properly speaking, God does not exist. Bear with me. I've not reverted to my atheism, my former atheism. Properly speaking, to exist means to come into being. means to come into being. And so properly speaking, we do not confess that God exists. God did not come into being. Instead, we confess that God subsists in and of himself, as chapter 2, paragraph 1 of our confession states. What does that mean, God subsists in and of himself? It means that God is the only being in the universe that simply is. Catch that? He is. That's why he reveals his name to Moses as I am that I am. What's he saying? I'm I'm pure being. I just am. I am that I am. God is the one who simply is. And because he is, because he subsists in and of himself, we and everything in the universe exists. So hear me out. This world is not eternal. It's not eternal. That is an illogical impossibility. All things exist because God created all things. There is no other way. Furthermore, it's good for our hearts to consider that God alone made all things. Is it not? This is good for us. Ponder this. God made all things without help. Right? No one was there giving him tips. There was no one with God in the beginning. There was no help, no, no one helping him out or lending him power or wisdom or anything. There was only our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in creation. Genesis 1.1 mentions God alone as the actor, right? In the beginning, God created. There's no other actor. No, no other person or being is mentioned. In Job 38.4, one of my favorite verses in the whole Old Testament. God powerfully questions Job by asking, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What is he saying? There was no one with me in the beginning. I didn't ask for help from anybody. I didn't ask for wisdom from anybody. It was God alone creating all things. And therefore, God alone owns all things and is to be revered above all things. Brothers and sisters, this should amaze us. This really should amaze us. 
I don't think it does very often, but if you read the Old Testament scriptures, the people of God were always amazed at this, that God was the creator and that God alone was the creator. That God alone made all things should help us to see how worthy he is of our praise. Who else but he could have done it? Who else has might and wisdom and goodness like he? Nobody. God alone. He is worthy of our praise and adoration and meditation. He is worthy of whatever he desires from us. He literally owns us. He owns the world and all things therein. He owns us all by the right of creation. And all men owe him everything as creatures existing by his good pleasure. Please, I, I beg of you, never downplay these truths. Never say, well, that's Sunday school stuff. D don't do that. This is Bible stuff. This is for all of us. It's common knowledge, sure, but it's not a common truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, this is something that we all know, but this is not like a common thing just to kind of discard. This is an amazing truth that should make us and lead us to worship our God as the creator. Brothers and sisters, this should all have a profound impact on the way that we look at ourselves and the world around us. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing some of this from J.G. Voss here. Since God created all things, all things are dependent upon him. And because of this, all attempts of men to live independently of God, or as if they owe him nothing, are wicked and doomed to destruction and judgment. It is foolishness for us to think that we have no obligations to the one who made us and all things. The fact that God made all things means that all of creation is accountable to him, especially reasonable creatures. That's us, by the way. That's human beings. Or at least most of us are reasonable creatures. I'll pray for some of you. But that's us. Don't ever forget that. Because God created, all things are under him and are subject to him and are obligated to please him however he desires to command them. God is God and he alone has made all things. And so God alone is to be feared and worshipped and loved by the whole creation. God made all things. But our catechism goes on to assert the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing. This is a brief point, but it's worth mentioning. God made all things of nothing. There was no pre-existing material for God to form. There wasn't, right? You know, like I, I do believe, and I could be sounding ignorant up here, um, so, some atheistic scientists will say, like, all matter was compressed into like this pinpoint thing, which answer the question, was there something or nothing? Right? So in one, one breath, they'll say, well, there was nothing. And then the big bang happened. But then in the next breath, they'll say, well, all matter was condensed into this time. Well, what was it? Was it something or nothing, man? But either way, they'll say that there was pre-existing matter that exploded into all the things that we see now somehow. But no, that, that's not what the scriptures teach. There was no pre-existing material for God to form. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice this, does the Bible ever call God, or at least with regard to proper creation, does, he call, does the Bible call God the former of the heavens and the earth? No, he's the creator of all things. And there is a world of difference between making things out of existing material and creating them. In this sense, we make things all the time. 
we make things all the time. We make meals by taking things that exist and putting them together in certain ways. We make homes by using material that already exists and putting them together in certain ways. We make all kinds of things. Please hear me. If a human being has had a hand in it, it has been made in this sense. But God created of nothing. God did not use anything. Instead, he made everything. Consider Romans 4.17. The Apostle Paul there says of God, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God calls into existence the things that do not exist. What power is this? Or consider Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The scriptures are declaring to us that out of nothing, God created all things. We can't even imagine this. For real, like I, I tried for a hot minute in my office, and I was like, this is futile. I'm not wasting my time on this. There was nothing, and then God made everything. <laughs> Listen, did you, you can't even imagine nothing. I know I probably sound like, a, like, a, like I'm like narrowing down on the pulpit. I probably look nuts up here. But you can't, you can't imagine nothing. When you think of nothing, what do you think of? Probably, probably a white or black space. That's still something. That's still color. That's still the idea of a space or a blank canvas. But nothing is the absence of everything. Think about that for a second. Nothing is the absence of everything. That's a concept we can't even get our minds around completely because we are so much created beings surrounded every second by created things. But our God, as only he could, when there was nothing, brought everything into existence. Again, we can't imagine nothingness, but God was there when there was only him. And God, so to speak, overcame the nothingness when he desired to create we need something to exist in order to make. But our God is so mighty that he needs nothing but his own will in order to call things into existence. Christians, stand in awe of your God. This is what the saints under the old covenant that we read their words about God's creation, this is what amazed them. Stand in awe of him. Our catechism then goes on to declare how God made all things. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power. By the word of his power. There is a phrase that runs throughout the first chapter of the Bible. I don't know if you caught it this morning or not. But it starts basically every new section. And God said. And God said. God spoke, and it was. <laughs> what a beautiful refrain in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be, and there was. I like that. God said, let there be, and there was. That is how every act of creation happened. God spoke, and it began to exist. He literally spoke all of creation into existence. And what's more is that he spoke everything into existence, fully formed and functioning. All things sprang into being and began to operate exactly as they do now. 
There was no process. There was only the word of God's power. There was no effort. Have you considered that? There was no effort. God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. He spoke and it came to being exactly as it should and existing exactly where he desired it to be. Brothers and sisters, this should move us to worship. Who else has power like this? Please hear me. Who else has power like this? We all can speak, but not one of us can speak anything into existence contrary to the word of faith movement. We all can speak, but none of us can speak things into existence. But God's very words have power to bring forth the entire universe and everything in it. Truly, our God is God Almighty. All might and power and strength belongs to Him. You know, we talk. Right? I talk a lot. I talk a lot. And nothing really happens when we talk. Right? Our, our words have no power or authority, unless, of course, God decides to use them as he does with the preaching of his word. But in and of themselves, our words can do nothing. And it's because of that we have a common saying, right? Actions speak louder than words. And that works with us. But that doesn't work with God. With God, it's more fitting to say God's words are his actions. His words are his actions. God speaks, and by the word of his power, things happen. And in our study this evening, we see that his mere speech gave life and being to the universe. Truly, there is no God like our God. Read the creation myths of all the false religions in the world. Someone, some God procreated with another God. And by the way, they never tell you how those gods got there. They don't. Or, or there was the earth, and then the earth somehow separated into two beings, and the two beings procreated, and that's how we got the sun. Like, just nonsense. There's no God like our God that just speaks and creates all things. He is the Lord God omnipotent. And if he can do this, there is literally nothing that he cannot do. His arm cannot be shortened. His power cannot run out. He can do all that he purposes to do. Brothers and sisters, what a God. Right? This God is actually worthy to be worshipped. He really is. Consider these things. But next, our catechism says, the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days. Here we go. Throughout the creation account in Genesis 1, we read of the first week of history. We read of the six days of creation. And it must be pointed out that these appear to be six literal days. I know that's not popular. I don't really care. These appear to be six literal days when you read the text. The text says... Hear me, please. I used to not always believe this. At first, I was a theistic evolutionist, and then I was an old earth creationist, and now I'm a nutcase young earth creationist. Uh, I hope you'll become one too. The text says this, And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And it goes on for all the six days of creation. Evening and morning... I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, is a 24-hour period. 
the word day or yom in, in the Hebrew is used throughout the books of Moses to denote a 24-hour period. It, it just is. So as unpopular as it may be to say in our day, and even within Christendom, oddly enough, I believe that the most natural way to read the text and all other texts about creation is to understand that God made the world in six literal days. And this is what the church and the Jews understood about creation for literally thousands of years until we began to feel pressure from the world to deny what the scriptures say at this point. So I'll throw that out there to you. But it must be acknowledged, and I want to say this fairly with respect, that some godly and conservative theologians and preachers have taken a figurative reading of the word day in these places. And those people are still Christians. They're wrong, as far as I can tell, but they're still Christians. And they do not, but they do not confess the historic doctrine of the church at this point. They don't. Put this to you. Someone is still in the bounds of orthodoxy if they believe that God created and that Adam and Eve are the literal first parents of all human beings. That is still within the bounds of orthodoxy, even if they believe in the gap theory or old earth, and we can argue with them, but as long as they still affirm that Adam and Eve are our first parents, then we can have a brotherly in-house discussion with them. I just wanted to throw that out there to you, but I do believe that the Bible teaches a literal six-day creation. Let me pursue this a little further. Consider Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. There we read the reason why we are to keep the Sabbath day holy. And I hope you're ready to hear about the Sabbath because we're about to do six weeks in the Sabbath. But here we're about to read about how this, why the Sabbath is to be kept holy. For in six days, so let me read that again. Why are you to keep one day in seven holy to the Lord? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What do we do? We observe six literal days of work in our own business, and then we observe a literal seventh day and keep it holy to the Lord. That fits best and most naturally with an understanding that God made the world in six literal days. You're to do what God did. Without that understanding, the reasoning behind the fourth commandment becomes really fuzzy. It becomes really fuzzy. Moses is telling us that we are to imitate the Lord, and so we do so by working six days and then resting a seventh and devoting it to God, just as he did. So again, to consistently read these texts leads us to confess what the church has always confessed, a literal six-day creation. Let the world mock us if it wants to. I don't personally care. I'm not trying to sound like pious Peter up here, but I'll take the book over whatever anyone else wants to say. I, and I don't deny that there are many questions that this raises, and some of them are difficult. But we must deal with them in light of the divinely inspired record. Don't put your Bible away. Don't put your Bible away. And just real quick, too, Answers in Genesis is a great resource for this kind of stuff. Strongly recommend it to you. But as our catechism and the scriptures say, the world was made by God in six days. And now this brings up a question to most thinking Christians at this point, and I just want to bring this out to you. Um, why? <laughs> right. That's a, if you ever ask it, it's why. It's always the most basic question when you're reading the Bible. Why? God is omnipotent, so he could have created the world in an instant. So why did he create over the course of six days? Well, here's your answer. God did so in order to set an example to man and institute an observance for man. You work six days, you rest one day. You work six days, and then the seventh one is holy to the Lord. So for our good, I don't know if you ever considered this, 
For our good, God took his time to create the world. For our good. He established the seven-day week and established a day of rest and worship for the physical and spiritual good of all mankind. He established the Sabbath day and gave it to man as a gift, teaching man the rhythm and pattern for life. Truly, as we consider the six days of creation, we see that our God is good to do this for us and to give us this gift of a weekly Sabbath that he instituted at creation. But another question now comes up. Right, we've seen that God created the world, but why? Why did he do so? Why did he create? Right, why did God decide that there should be something instead of nothing? Well, I'll tell you this much. Right, and you hear a lot of, uh, just to be blunt, you hear a lot of stupid answers from evangelicals. I'll tell you this. It was not because he was bored. <laughs> you ever heard that? Well, God wanted something to do. God is life itself. God is pure being and pure act. He cannot be bored. He has all being and blessedness and happiness in himself. He's perfectly content. He can't be changed. Furthermore, to say he was bored and then he created so he wouldn't be bored means that he created in order to cause a change within himself. God doesn't change. He wasn't bored. And it was not because he had to create. Now, he, he could have decreed that nothing would be and that he would simply be happy in himself alone for eternity. And it was not because he was lonely. <laughs> Again, God has all life and happiness in himself and there is no change in God. He's not lonely. So why then? Why did God create? Well, what does the Apostle Paul say? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Why did God create? God created all things for himself. He created all things to glorify himself. Let's be clear, not to add to his glory. No way. He can't be added to or subtracted from. He is the immutable God. Rather, he created in order to make manifest his glory and create creatures to see, savor, and share in his glory and worship him as he deserves. Creation displays the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. It displays his glory and his majesty. Please, I want you to, I want you to try to remember these things. Creation shows God's power because he made all things out of nothing and without effort. Creation displays his wisdom because only an infinitely wise being could organize and plan and cause all creation to work properly as it does in this, as Dave said in his prayer, irreducibly complex universe that we live in. Only infinite wisdom could do this. It shows, creation shows God's goodness because he did not have to give life to others but willed to do so out of his kindness and generosity. Truly, God reveals himself in the creation, and all creation cries out, He is God. Worship him. That's what the creation declares. All things exist for the glory of God. That is why he created. 
Lastly, our catechism declares, the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. All very good. At the end of the creation week, we read in Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. In the beginning, Originally, this world was very good. It was perfect. It was unblemished. It was good. There was perfect peace. There was no sin or sickness or death or strife or any such thing. It was only God's good creation and God dwelling with man in the garden and man living in perfect harmony with God. It was all very good. Everything was in its right place under God, doing exactly as God had created it to be. Everything was going perfectly by his design. God is not evil, and he did not create anything evil. He did not create anything bad. It was all very good. But we know the story, do we not? It plays out in Genesis 2 and 3. It did not stay very good for very long. It did not stay idyllic and free from harm. Adam sinned. The man sinned. Adam broke the covenant of works with God and brought ruin and destruction to the entire created world. By the sin of one man, death and sin came into God's good creation and God's curses came upon both man and the world as the result. Man came under the wrath and damnation of God for our sins, and we became in great need of a Savior from our sins. And the world came under the curse of thorns and thistles and all kinds of horrible natural disasters and all other things. And now there are many hardships, many trials, many difficulties. There is now sin everywhere and death and devastation because of sin. And again, damnation now looms over man, and all this because of sin. All this because man rebelled against God. What was very good was in a sense ruined by man. I don't know about you, but if one of my creatures did such a wicked thing to my good creation, I would have wiped the whole thing out, sent him to hell, and started over again. That's what I would have done. But not our God. He's not like us. He is not a man. Man's sin ruined everything, especially man. But God, in his kindness, in the fullness of time, sent forth his Son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to fix what man did. Christ came into the world to live, die, and be raised for sinners in order to save us from our sins. Christ took our sins upon himself and made atonement to God for them by suffering the full weight of the wrath of God on behalf of all who would ever believe on him. Christ came to redeem man from our sin, and he did so. Because not only was the creation very good, but because our God is infinitely good. And we are saved in Christ if we look to him for mercy. If we trust in him. But Christ did not only come to redeem man from our sin. He also came to redeem the world in a broader sense. As the Christmas hymn says, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Christ came to save the world. Christ came to save his people, yes. Oh, that is the great thing. And he has done that. But he also came to institute the new creation. 
And one day, when he comes again, he will consummate this new creation by restoring and recreating the world. God in Christ will one day set all things back to very good when he returns. You know, the Garden of Eden was like a temple. That's the language in the Old Testament that's used for it. Do you know that the tabernacle had things in it that were meant to remind you of Eden? Even the way you entered into it was the way that man was kicked out. You came back in the same way that man had to leave. You know the temple? There's pomegranates and trees and figs and all things all over the temple. Why? Eden. And then what do we read at the end of the book? When Christ comes, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And there's trees there. What do we see? Man is back with God as it was in the beginning. But God is glorified even more now as the Savior and Redeemer of sinners. And we are the new creation, the new human race in Christ who will dwell with our God in splendor and glory and perfection forever in essentially a new Eden as God always intended. Please hear me. God made all things very good. Man ruined all things. Christ redeemed all things. And God will make all things very good again. Praise God. Our creator is our redeemer. And all things will be made right on that great day. Creation should point you to your redemption. So brothers and sisters, as I come to the end of this sermon, let me set two things before you. First, when you look out at the created world, you should be moved to worship God. The creation is intended to make you think of him and make you worship him. We see his power, his self-existence, his eternity, his providence, his goodness, his wisdom, and something of his beauty as we behold the world around us. When you look out and see the sunrise on your way to work, remember God. When you see the wind gently blowing the trees in front of your home, remember God. When you see the lightning flash in the sky, remember God. When you see a deer in the field, remember God. When your pet jumps into your lap, remember God. When you look in the mirror or look at your friend or your spouse or your child, remember God. As you behold the work of God in creation, remember the creator who made and owns it all and be moved to worship our great God. It all exists for his glory. So use it rightly and be led to glorify him. And lastly, as I've said already, when you consider the creation, let it point you to your redemption. Things are not as they should be. We see that in the natural world. Natural disasters, sickness, death. We see it spiritually with all manner of sin in the world. But remember this as you look out at the world. Christ has come. He has saved your soul by his cross work. And he will one day make all things new. The son of God has come and given his life for us in order to redeem us and all that we have marred by our sin. And now we await the consummation of all things at his return where we will dwell forever with our God in a perfect world. Christian, praise him. Praise him. You who love the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise him. He has done great things for us. And the best is yet to come for those who trust in the Lord Jesus. 
Our God owns us by right of creation and redemption. May God teach every heart to worship him. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that though we have ruined all things, you have sent your son to make all things right and we await the consummation of the, inst- of the new creation that he has instituted. And God, we stand amazed that you are indeed the creator. And God, I ask that you would put these things deeply in our hearts that we wouldn't be able to look at a tree without being led to worship the living God. Have mercy on us and teach us to stand in awe of you, our creator and our redeemer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.